0: Welcome to Can They Do That, brought to you by Scott Law Team, the employment law firm. We are excited to discuss recent employment issues and events that affect your everyday life. Keep in mind, this podcast is educational and is not a substitute for legal advice or professional consultation. If you need help, you can reach us at scottlawteam.com. Hello,
1: everybody. Welcome back to Can They Do That? This is Rachel Kelly, Marketing Director, joined by Kathleen Scott. How are you doing, Kathleen? Good,
0: doing great. Glad to be here.
1: Of course. So today we have another interesting topic that we're going to be talking about, and I'm going to lead it in with a little bit of background, growing some context. So I, Rachel Kelly, have just come to Palm Beach County, and I'm interested in starting my own small business where I'm selling art.
0: I but hope this I'm, doesn't mean I'm going to lose Rachel Kelly. Oh,
1: no, no <laughs> worries. This is just- Hypothetical. The, this is hypothetical. So let's just say- Rachel Kelly has a lot of artwork that she needs to sell, and she needs to hire at least two employees to help with distribution, inventory, cataloging, but I have no idea where to start. What should
0: I start with? So first, let me applaud your entrepreneurial spirit, because I'm a big fan of that. And um, Palm Beach County, I, if I'm not mistaken, is like at least in the top three of female-owned small businesses in the United States, so you're not alone. Um, and as an employment lawyer, I mean, I think I've been doing this now 20 four, six a year or something who's counting. Um, what I can tell you is this with small businesses there are the three big issues things that people try to do the right thing just don't know and make mistakes on. so we should really talk about those right Yes
1: help me not make mistakes yeah
0: first of all is how do you pay your employees So people get this wrong a lot they're like, I'm gonna pay a salary because then I don't have to pay overtime. That more than anything else might be the most common myth in employment law. So just because you pay a person a salary doesn't mean that you don't pay them overtime.
1: What qualifies for somebody to not have
0: overtime? So over four, you have to actually work over 40 hours in a work week and a work week is a seven day period. Typically it's Sunday through Saturday. And so if you work over 40 hours, you get overtime unless you fall into one of these clearly well-defined buckets. We call them exemptions. Okay. People selling your art for you, probably not going to fall into those exemptions. So, um, Maybe think about how you're going to pay those folks. Hourly is best for non-exempt, usually. There are exceptions. Um, That way, every hour they work, they get paid. And if they work 41 hours, then they get paid time and a half.
1: Now, what about breaks for those employees?
0: So Florida follows federal law. There are no rules about breaks, uh, meaning you don't have to give a break.
1: Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. But if you do
0: give a break, you can't deduct for it.
1: Okay, so it has to be a paid break.
0: Unless the employee is completely at rest for at least 20 minutes.
1: Okay. Do they have to be on premise, off premise? Is there any ruling about that?
0: I think personally it's a good idea for them to be off premise because what happens, they're sitting and then someone walks by and goes, Hey, did you get this done? Or they grab a phone call or something happens. So they're not, they're interrupted. And so if they're not completely at rest and uninterrupted, um, then they get paid for that break.
1: Good to know. Good to know. Now, what about the second? Issue
0: that we run into. Well, the second most common myth about people is, so someone comes and they complain about something, and people are like, "This person is not a good fit. Let's fire them." Because usually, when people make a complaint, employers get angry. So don't get angry and don't fire people because they make. Them. So the re- the knee jerk response to someone raising an issue is thank you. Someone employee comes to you and says. The blah, 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 this happened. The response is, thank you for bringing that to my attention. Let's look into it. It's not, this person is not a team player. Let's get rid of them. Because that would be retaliation, which is the most common lawsuit filed in the United States under the employment law context. So you don't want to retaliate against people for raising concerns.
1: Okay. And now let's go into the third
0: issue. The third issue is a lot of people think that when you go to terminate an employment relationship, there has to be something in writing. It's a common question that I get usually from the employee who says, I got terminated, but they didn't give me anything in writing. And so in the state of Florida where we are, there's no requirement that you give anything in writing. And the other myth is that you don't need a reason to terminate somebody. So often people say to me, I didn't get anything in writing and they can't just terminate me for any reason, can they? But yeah, the answer is yes, they can. And so we're what's called an at-will state. And so if an employer decides you wore a blue shirt, we don't really like blue shirts. We're going to fire you for wearing a blue shirt. As preposterous as that is, you can fire an employee in the state of Florida.
1: discrimination claim.
0: Right, because it's about being blue, wearing a blue shirt. It's not about anything that's a protected category.
1: Now, just to clarify, if that shirt had some sort of supportive... If that shirt supported an organization or a belief
0: hmm. with that border? Well, it would depend on the size. So in your hypothetical, or it's a, this is Rachel's art sale shop. Um, there's only two employees. So the discrimination laws in our state only kick in if there's 15, one, five, or more employees. Okay. So kind of an interesting thing to know.
1: So if you were looking to have a handbook written mm-hmm. and it's zero to 15 it's different guidelines. Whereas if I suddenly had a boom in business, I was getting a ton of requests or commissions, whatever that's happening. And I suddenly need to have 20 employees. Would I need to revise my handbook?
0: I would think, I think every employer should have a handbook if possible. I think the type of handbook that you have, if you have a smaller business, zero to 15 or zero to 10, maybe, um, is a different kind of handbook than if you have more than that because it's a different type of workplace. And the reason for the change and the difference is the larger the employer, you have more of an opportunity to have a department that can handle complaints or a department that can handle like human resources. Small businesses, you know, under 20 employees say they don't really have the ability to have a robust HR department and people wear multiple hats. So, you know, the person who's the comptroller might also be the one that, you know, takes HR complaints or does the onboarding of employees. So We have to be practical about that. But I think it's an excellent idea to have a handbook, no matter how big or small you are, because it gives you an opportunity to tell the employee, what is your mission statement? And when you're a small business, people want to come to work and understand why. Why are you in business? Well, we're here to make sure that individuals understand their employment law rights. That's a pretty good reason to be in business, right? And so our handbook is we're in service to our clients. And so when people come to work here, we try to instill that in them. You know, we want them to be in service to our clients. So being client-centered, having core values, putting those things in writing, giving employees kind of the rules of the road, it's really important.
1: Now let's talk about some other benefits of handbooks. Let's just try list five. What are the top five benefits for an employer to have a handbook for their business? We've already talked about mission statement core values. What are
0: some other good reasons? Notice. And what I mean by notice is you don't want people to be asking the question when an event is happening and not have rules of the road. We close for this hurricane. Do I get paid? Well, it's not in the handbook. So having a handbook to address issues kind of gives people a place to look and look ahead and kind of know what's going on before the event happens. For example, I, I don't know what to do. I got injured last night. How do I call out sick? I'm just going to text my friend who works there. Well, if you don't have a procedure in the handbook that says when you're sick and you can't make your shift, how do you call out? So notice, it's really important. Also, not everybody thinks the same way, right? So what you might think is the way to do something, what the employer might think is the way to do something, don't always intersect, right? So putting it in writing, having rules of the road on how to call out, how pay raises are going to be handled, you know, what to do in the event of in climate weather. And there's so many more. I mean, what to do if you're injured, what to do if you, you know, had uh, if someone passed away in your family and you need bereavement leave. So setting those things out in writing gives the employee a place to go to. Um, a lot of employers make the mistake of not giving their employee access to the handbook. They give it to them when they sign the first day of employment. And then They don't ever give them a copy of it. So they don't have a place to go back and be like, hey, what does the handbook say about this? Where do I complain? I feel uncomfortable. This happened. I'm not sure. How do I handle this? So it it tells the employee a couple of things. Who to go to. Gives them notice of the policy and it kind of outlines like who's in charge of what so they know how to handle it.
1: So is a handbook the only thing that I would need for my company that I'm starting?
0: Well so a handbook is a good place to start but I would also recommend um, taking a hard look at the type of employees that you have. You might also want job descriptions. So a job description is something that outlines kind of more granularly like what that person is expected to be doing but also like the skills so, and sometimes the physical requirements are a good thing to put in a job description, right? Because let's say somebody, God forbid, gets injured, like they they're, they come to work and they're like, "Well, I can do this job on crutches." And if the job description doesn't say that you need to be able to like stand on your feet for so many hours a day, then you don't want to be having that discussion for the first time when somebody was injured. You want the physical requirements laid out. So a job description does do that. Also, whether they get overtime, if they're exempt slash non-exempt, is usually in the handbook. Excuse me, in the job description. And so that's a good thing to have. Another document to think about is what is your business? So in your example, people are selling all this artwork that you have, but are they selling it to your contacts that you've made through your developments in the art world? And you wouldn't want them to leave with that kind of trade secret or industry standard information, right? You'd want that to protect that. And so maybe you look at, do I need a in some type of non-disclosure agreement. When I have people working for me, do I want them to, to agree to keep my secrets and to keep my confidences? So they can't just go across the street and work for somebody else and sell their artwork using all of your contacts and who to sell it to.
1: Interesting. That's good to know. Good to know. Now, are those things workable documents?
0: In terms of, yeah, I mean they're pretty simple to but the the idea is let come to an employment law firm, have a consult, we can kind of diagnose what you need. And usually in one visit, we can figure out. What the documents are, and they're not fairly onerous to draft.
1: Now I do have a question. So say that I started this business and 20 years go by. I still have my original employees from the first day that I started. They are doing something right. I know. Let's just I'm following all the rules, all of the guidelines. I'm following suggestions from this podcast. And I am 20 years in business with the same employees. Nice. I had some files with them. I had the restrictive covenants. Is there a chance to revise them or update them with the changing
0: times. Of course. So when you're the boss, when you're the queen and you're you, you know, you're the employer, then you can change your policies as needed. And you should. You should update, evolve. Like right now um, in employment law, we're basically having like employment law emergencies every couple of weeks because the law is changing so much Um, employment policy is set by federal law it's an organization called the national labor relations board and they enforce um, a law called the national labor relations act and so things like what can be confidential in a workplace can i prohibit what my employees say on the internet through social media things like that are constantly shifting changing and so in this last year we've seen a ton of changes So you should always be updating your handbooks and your policies.
1: Do you feel like there's a specific time
0: in between each? I think once a year is a good idea. Um, I think in between changes of guard in terms of political parties in power. So the president's party in power, currently the Democrat, they get three of the five seats on the National Labor Relations Board. That's good to know. Yeah. And so then the board can kind of lean towards Democratic policies. When it switch when it switches, if it switches to a Republican, then that will change, and so the law follow, and so things can can change. And so I I would say once a year, and then maybe more often in, in any year where there's a change in power.
1: Okay, okay. Now say that I want to revise my handbook. Yeah. Do I need to go to an employment law attorney, or can I go to just anybody? Can so I do it myself?
0: I wouldn't recommend doing it yourself. I think size is you know does matter. I think it's much more complicated the larger the employer is. A lot of paychecks company, payroll processing companies do offer handbooks that are state specific and they can be okay. um, But what they're not going to do is they're not going to be specifically tailored to your business, your core values, your need, your mission statements. That's one thing that we do here. Also having it in writing is great. Having it in writing and having someone who can explain it to your employees in a conversational way, maybe record it on Zoom where they can play it as an orientation is great, right? Because policies are only as good as they are enforced. And so you want a handbook, you want it updated, but you want to make sure that your team knows what's in there and has a place to ask questions. You also kind of want to pull out your managers and say, you know, make sure they understand how to handle things that come up so they're not making knee-jerk responses. You want to make sure that the people in your workplace are following your direction and your guidelines, not just like knee-jerk making decisions based on perhaps the way they might have been raised or what they might think it's not individualized. It's a cohesive group of individuals. And that's what core values kind of speaks to, right? Getting everyone together in a community setting and kind of like being able to make decisions and judgments based on what they understand the company's core values to be.
1: Speaking of ensuring that managers understand the handbook and your guiding principles, I just wanted to make a note that if anybody's interested about hearing specifics or things that are happening recently with the employment law, Gabe Roberts is going to be talking about a UPS situation in which a manager had the knee-jerk response to fire somebody because they didn't feel they were adequate at their job. Supreme Court had a decision about that.
0: Yeah, very exciting. So if you want to hear more about the previews, check out Gabe Roberts. Yeah, and I think there's a lot to be learned about when we look at cases that come out of the court usually things are based on individual decision making and that can often is what gets the employer into into hot water right because a, a manager on one day made a decision um and so why did the manager make that decision that's what has, that's what you have to look at as an employer how do i build a cohesive community where people know what the goals are, what the values are, so they can make value-based decisions so they're not acting kind of inconsistent with those values and behaviors.
1: So I wanted to jump back. Earlier you said when I had the two employees, they said something, they brought a concern, don't fire them right away. So in the situation that I do want to fire an employee, how do I go about that?
0: So if an employee complains, you say thank you, you look into it, you document the concern, then you decide whether you need to investigate it. And you handle it that way. If you've made the decision um, that you it's not working out, generally speaking, it's a good idea if separation is not a surprise. Um, and I want to say a couple things about that. If you're not giving your employees feedback regularly, and they're not they're not going to see this coming, then you're failing them as an employer, right? Uh, imagine if you went to school and you only got a report card once a year. Or imagine if you went to school and you were two days before the end of the year and you found out you're being fired, you're not graduating, you're not going to go to second grade. That'd be so onerous and harsh. But yet in the workplace, that's often how it is. People don't give evaluations, people don't give feedback, and they tend to fire, knee jerk, decision making, right? Saying Without ever spending time coaching. The general rule is coach up, coach out. It doesn't mean you have to do it that way. And in a company that's small or in a state like Florida, it's at will. So you could legally terminate somebody but the question is is should you and should you um, try to coach them before you're coaching them out often it's a misunderstanding I cannot tell you how many times people have come to me wanting to fire an employee and I ask a couple questions I go oh well I don't know if I've ever told them that I don't know that I've said that to them and so uh, there's a great book. It's called The Four Disciplines of Execution, and it talks about if an employee doesn't know what a good work week looks like, if you haven't set the metrics, then you've failed them. The system should support should support a good employee, and so what that means is, if, if just because you don't like the behavior, um, that might be a reason to fire someone. If it's serious behavior, right? If it's Fraud or theft or egregious conduct, fine. Get that person out. There's a saying: when when somebody shows you their true self, believe them and get them out. What I'm talking about is, you know, the sort of it's not a good fit. The employer really needs to take some inventory. Have they set the employee up for success? Is there any type of training? Has there been coaching? Has there been some type of metric they haven't met? Have they identified the issue and give the person an opportunity to respond? Sometimes. People just don't know what the expectations are or they have a misunderstanding about what your expectations are. And so if you haven't articulated that well, they might be thinking, I'm doing all of these things. How could they not think I'm doing my job? But the thing, the one thing that the employer is monitoring and cares about is the one thing they are not doing. So sometimes there's just not a disconnect. There's sometimes there's a disconnect between that.
1: Okay, so would you recommend severance agreements, having those drafted up before
0: Mm. entering business? So if you're truly going to terminate and not do the coaching route, what I would always recommend is like a step back and be like, is this relationship really salvageable or not salvageable? Because firing is expensive in terms of the time and investment that you've made. And so make sure that you're making the right decision by by severing and have you sat down and coached. It's also disruptive. All your employees feel it when someone else loses their job. They all go, am I going to be next? And that creates an insecurity amongst the workplace. So just make sure it's the right fit. Also, people like to work at a place where they think it's fair. So if the employees don't understand what that person did to lose their job, they're now going to have their tentacles up. So it has an effect, has a ripple effect. But if you've if you've looked at it, you've warned, you've coached, you've still decided, despite all those things, I'm going to terminate. Um, you can consider a severance agreement. A severance agreement I use and recommend for high risk terminations somebody's in a protected category, they're pregnant, somebody's recently complained, you're worried about retaliation. Somebody you just know isn't going to go quietly and you're worried that they're going to like run outside and tell anyone who will listen how horrible you are. So you're worried about reputation. If one of those things tracks, then yeah, a severance agreement is a document that an employee signs saying, I won't sue the company in exchange for money.
1: Okay. Now talking about handbooks, should the handbooks include something about termination?
0: I would think that only, like, it's different for every employer, of course, but usually a handbook, the thing that you want to say about termination is that you can be terminated and then kind of outline some of the more obvious reasons why so there's no surprises. But you can't, like, identify every potential cause of action or claim. Um, But yeah, it's a good way to, like, say um, what will result in termination. It's also a good place to tell people that you're going to strive to engage in what's called progressive discipline, which is like, for minor infractions, you'll be warned for more serious, maybe a written warning or suspension and then a final warning and then termination.
1: And that's more of a paper trail saying, hey, we have tried to deal with this issue. Mm-hmm. Hey, we have tried to have solutions. Ultimately, it came down to didn't work out. So there is no basis for this came out of nowhere. This is right. discrimination. This is
0: yada, yada, and yada. And you do it for your to protect the employer from claims. Sure but you also do it so that you establish a workplace where people have a general understanding that fairness rules so that people aren't just walking in every day fearful that they're going to lose their job. If you create a culture like that, then you're going to have people operating out of fear. It really is top down. So like if people are afraid every day, they're going to lose their job, then they're going to make mistakes because they're operating out of fear. And that's something I think employers need to know, need to hear. So after
1: I've consulted with my attorney, Kathleen Scott, I am now running a very successful business that has a very proficient and constantly updated handbook. I have my specific and tailored job descriptions for the specific roles. I've clarified whether or not somebody should be salaried. I'm not incorrectly paying my employees, and I'm constantly thinking about where to go next. All thanks to coming to the Scott Law team. Now that we're wrapping up, is there any other things that we want to say regarding handbooks and whether a handbook can benefit the workplace?
0: I think having written rules are so helpful, right? It's sort of like an ounce of prevention. Um, people might not want to spend the time and energy identifying how people should be paid but there's so many issues that happen. You asked me at the beginning of the episode about common mistakes and issues and we talked about um, overtime. And I'll tell you that it's still, it is very, very common. I mean, employers... With an intent, maybe to do the right thing, just don't know how to pay people um, properly. And so I always make the joke I'm like, Geico, 15 minutes can save you thousands. Um, but just today, earlier today, I had a consultation with an employer who was, well, I pay them a salary and then I give them this bonus. And I said, well, is the bonus based on anything particular? Yeah, it's based on these criteria. And I'm like, okay, so it's a non discretionary bonus plus a salary and a position that's not exempt. So does that person get overtime? And they, they? the answer is yeah they do and it's a complicated overtime analysis because you have to go back and calculate their their regular rate based on the bonuses that you're giving them so i know that this employer wanted to do more for their employees and set up a structure to incentivize them and that was where this was born out of but you also want to make sure you're doing it in a way that doesn't get you into hot water later and so that violation of not paying overtime to those employees is going to be back wages for 2 years doubled plus all their attorney's fees and costs. And that's going to be a lot more than the bonus was initially.
1: So sometimes taking the shortcut really does Mm -hmm. result in a long, long battle.
0: When it comes to pay, terms, and termination, don't guess. We can help you get it right
1: that, we're going to wrap up this episode. Thank you so much for joining us. And we will see you next Thursday on the next episode of Can They Do That? In the meantime, feel free to check out our social media at Scott Law Team. And if you ever feel like you need some help with your employment issues, feel free to call our office at 561-653-0008.